Welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. This is the place that you want to be if you're really interested in how to grow your career, listening to other industry experts and how they've navigated their career. Uh, this is just overall a great place for that. This is really targeted around the manufacturing and automation industry. So especially if that's the job that you're looking for, we also have a lot of marketers that are in the manufacturing space as well. So if that's a job that you're looking after, then this is the place to be. I'm your host, Malachi Greb, and also the CEO of Elite Automation. And we have a, a special guest today, Dr. Jonas. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to the world of NDE 4.0. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, if you don't already know, he's an advocate for NDE 4.0. And if I'm not mistaken, you've written a book on it, right? Yeah, exactly. This one here. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah, if you would go ahead and start off and tell people kind of like where you're at in, in your career right now. Yeah, about, let's see, somewhere a little bit before Corona started, I started my own company. Um, and it, it was actually the first three years. So somewhere from 2017 to the end of 2019, it was great business. And I had a really big project in those years. And then Corona kicked in. And... <laughs> Number one, I knew that that project was going away. So I looked for a lot of other customers. Mm -hmm. And then Corona kicked in and all of them were gone overnight. <laughs> right. <laughs> so therefore, that's where I wrote this book. Uh, and a lot of scientific papers and a lot of work on digital transformation, which I did during those years, got produced. and. But now with the end of Corona, I can really see that it was good that I did all of this work. Yeah. Because now I actually have more and more customers who see the value of digital transformation of digitalization. Mm -hmm. And um, my main focus, so in the beginning, I, I'm what I am, I am an expert on non-destructive testing. So on all the X-ray and ultrasonics and all that, which we all know from radiographs, from our medical, from our doctors, but we don't apply it on the human, but we apply it on anything in manufacturing to gotcha. assure the quality. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the beginning, when I started my own company, my idea was really to go to be a consultant or to build up a consulting company for non-destructive testing. Mm -hmm. But with getting into NDE 4.0 and with getting into digital transformation, that has shifted. Right. And now what I'm offering is kind of like, yeah, consulting for digital transformation and consulting for NDE 4.0. Mm -hmm. And we are now doing workshops. So the, you see here the, that in the background, that's actually the, also the cover of the book, just in black instead of blue. And you can see that second name, Rippy Singh, that's the co-author of that book. And the two of us, we are all, always doing those workshops together and bringing digital transformation really to the customer and making sure that the, that the digital transformation of the customer is really successful. Awesome. And if you wouldn't, ex if you wouldn't mind explain what NDE 4.0 is to those who don't know what it is. Having said what NDT is or non-destructive testing, NDE is non-destructive evaluation. The two terms NDT and NDE are kind of the same, but on the other side, I like the term NDE, NDE more than NDT because the evaluation 
means we're doing more than just testing. Gotcha. Now, NDE 4.0, that's kind of the future of NDE. So this is taking all of those methods like artificial intelligence, blockchains, or augmented reality, you name them, mm -hmm. to enhance the results of non-destructive testing, to make it easier to do an interpretation, to make the uh, results more reliable, to make the processes easier, and so on and so on. But it's only half of it. On the other side, you can actually use all of those results we Every industrial partner has to do NDT and NDE. And what they do usually with that data, they collect terabytes of data. They do an analysis, they write a report, which at the end says this component is okay or not okay. <laughs> and then they archive that data for 40 years or something like that. And they put it onto some server and they forget about it. Why not use that data you already have and analyze it so yes. that you can improve your production data, so that you can improve your product and yet so that you can also improve your design. And that is the second idea about NDE, to make the access to the NDE data way easier so that everybody can actually do access all of that data. So it gives you what, a more usable version of that data? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the main idea to have a more usable version of that data to have something um, I get. Have you heard about semantic interoperability? Have not. <laughs> semantic interoperability is what makes data machine readable. So that one computer can automatically understand the data from another computer. Or one system can understand the data from another system. So if you, let's say you want to use the data for some fracture mechanics or from, for some probabilistic lifing or predictive maintenance, then you can just take the NDE data, that's at least our goal, take that NDE data, feed it into your system and your system will know what it can do with that data and you can use it without having to go through all of those proprietary interfaces and data formats and whatever you currently have. Gotcha. So does this does this look more of the form of a particular software, or is it something that is is built out and more of multiple softwares? It's more just like a ecosystem of different products. That that will end up to be an ecosystem, or it has to end up being an ecosystem, yeah. because if you think about all those systems which are out there, try to connect kind of all of them. It will not be possible without having the necessary infrastructure. The good part is I, I try to, or I'm not the one who is doing, who's selling the software. I'm the one doing the visions for the customers right. and then bringing the manufacturers of all the different software systems into the game mm -hmm. and then perhaps developing a little bit of software where it's really still necessary. But this is, you, in my eyes, it shouldn't be everybody trying to do everything from scratch. Right. You yeah. should try to combine all the existing tools to bring them into the pool and to get them talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with the software world we have, that's a lot of preaching. Because <laughs> you have to tell them, you have to open up. You have to open up with the data format, with the interfaces, so that your tools can talk to each other. Right. 
And most of them are afraid that that will take away customers from them because it's then easier perhaps to go to a competitor. But in my eyes, it's actually actually the opposite because yeah. if I would have a digital tally transformed manufacturing environment, I would just want systems which have those open interfaces yeah. so that I can just take them, plug it into my manufacturing site and have it talk to all the other equipment. Yeah, there shouldn't be all the layers of complexity to get the system set up and, and hardly anybody knows how to use the system and it creates too many barriers to entry. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly the point what we are trying to do. We're trying to reduce them. And we have uh, a couple of research programs where we are trying to develop the infrastructure because if you develop infrastructure, there's not a single company who says, yes, I want to do that because you cannot make money out of it. Right. So it is really a you need a consortium of a of some research company or some research bodies, some companies who all want to achieve that greater goal and get there. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's difficult, but we're getting there. So, what what really made you start to like navigate to to this NDE 4.0 and like what what did you experience throughout your career to kind of give you this type of insight and, and take you down this path? Yeah, that, that goes actually back to my former employer, to Siemens. Nice. Um, because that was, I think, somewhere 2013, 14, when I was approached by some fracture mechanics colleagues of mine. So I was the NDT uh, guy, um, and I was mainly dealing with all of our suppliers within Siemens. And all the NDT our suppliers were doing, because most of the products we were building at Siemens into our products weren't actually produced by us. They were all coming from the supply chain. Gotcha. The same, the NDT had to be done by those suppliers. So, what? The, but the fracture mechanics colleagues, what they did is they told me, Johannes, we want to implement a new kind of fracture mechanics. But what we need is we need more knowledge about the internal structure of those components. So that's exactly what we already have with NDT. So what we did is we went back to all of the results we had in our archive and we started analyzing, building up a database, a specialized database just for this, those data types, um, and then starting to analyze. And it was very easy with that additional knowledge to actually increase the lifetime of those components without changing anything on the uh, on the on the design of the component mm. we were able to lengthen the lifetime by a factor of something in the order of magnitude something like a factor of two just by looking at the ndt data wow <laughs> very nice and that business case I, I i don't know how big it ended up i heard something like a, a eight or nine digit figure Right. And, but that was the moment I knew, okay, there is more to that data than just, is that component good or not good? Do we have to throw that one back into the melt or can we use that one? Mm -hmm. And so that was the first step which brought me to the idea, yes, there is more to the NDT data. And then, yeah, 
when that dawned on me, then it dawned on me that, yes, perhaps what I can do for Siemens, I can do also really good for the open market, mm -hmm. perhaps even better. And perhaps I can even drive stuff, which I couldn't drive when it was an employee of Siemens. Because if you are working for a big organization, then yes, you are limited to certain rules. You're mm -hmm. limited to a certain job description. Now, my mm -hmm. management always let me do a lot of stuff because they knew that I was doing good for Siemens. Mm -hmm. But still, I was a little bit restricted. And I'm with my own company. I can now do whatever I want as long as I find some customers who are willing to pay for it. Right. And even then, I can do so I can do a little bit of R&D myself without right. having anybody pay for it. And so like earlier on in, into your career, what what were some of the job uh, tasks and titles that you that you originally got started with? Oh, so l let's start a little bit from the beginning. So mm -hmm. I, I studied physics. Okay. And I, uh, for my master thesis, I did something which is called quantum optics. Okay. So I was working on an experiment which is kind of the basis for quantum communication so if you want to want to have one quantum computer and another one and you want to have, to have the two of them communicate with with each other that was kind of the technology we developed back then mm. but that wasn't what i wanted to work on because i already knew back then it was would be at least another 20 years to come to reality right so for therefore for my phd i looked around for what could i do where what could be interesting. And I found something which was a very new non-destructive testing method, even that I didn't know that it was a non-destructive testing back then, which was induction thermography. So using an induction heater and then looking with an infrared camera. And if there is a crack in a component, you use that induction heater, then that current you induce has to flow around the crack somehow. And you get an image with your infrared camera and you can detect those cracks in an instance, something like a hundred millisecond. So that was my PhD. Um, afterwards, I started with Siemens and I, they threw me in and told me you have to become a UT expert. <laughs> Three weeks after I started, they sent me back to, um, or they sent me to a supplier and I had a meeting, me as the new guy in ultrasonics, which knew about this much about ultrasonics. <laughs> and I had to, I had to explain to all the experienced ultrasonics guy, which are, were sitting in the same room, what they should be doing. <laughs> all right. You can't imagine how quickly you learn if you're in such a situation. <laughs> right. So that was then my beginning with ultrasonics. And we, I, uh, we got into all the supplier qualification. We harmonized a lot of specifications. We did a lot of work on, because Siemens with, we have, I think we had nine different locations where we had our, our uh, manufacturing sites. And everyone had a different specification to order from the same suppliers. So that was one of the things we also, we had a big project where we worked on, uh, on something called synthetic aperture focusing technique. So if you compare a normal X-ray with a computer tomography, where you get the 3D volume, you can do the same with ultrasonics. 
of ultrasonics, it has this a little bit, not that nice name, SAFT or synthetic aperture focusing technique, but in essence, it's ultrasonic computer tomography. Gotcha. And that's what we actually applied on large rotor forgings. And if you think about, you know how large a rotor forging can be? No clue. <laughs> so these are steel components. They can be something like about 20 meters in length and about two or three meters in diameter. Mm -hmm. That's a couple of hundred tons of steel. And within those components, a crack of the size of about one millimeter can be critical. So if you want to speak about the needle in the haystack, that's what we were looking for. So, and that was one of the development projects. We developed this ultrasonic computer tomography for those large components to be applied not on a R&D project, no, in production. And it was successful. It's now um, applied in serial production. And then came that project we already discussed with the, uh, with the um, using the, the NDT data for fracture mechanics. And so that's kind of my career. What are some, yeah, I'd like to kind of dig more into like some of your, like your career specifically and some of the things that you kind of learned throughout your career and like going through these different phases. Yeah, that's an interesting question. <laughs> so, yeah, when, when, when I started studying physics, I really didn't know where, where, where I wanted to go. I just grab, grabbed onto something which seemed to be interesting, and that's kind of the path I followed in the beginning. And more and more with my career, it got clearer to me what I wanted to do in my life what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And this is what I learned pretty quickly was that I'm not really good at doing repetitive tasks. My brain gets bored so easily, so that is not the best way to treat my brain. But once I give myself a challenge every now and then, that's a lot better. Right. And so that was also one of the reasons when for me finally to deciding to, to, to also leave then Siemens. So this working in a large scale industrial environment, for me, it was an incredibly good experience because now I know how those large corporations work. Right. And they have their benefits. They have their huge benefits. You have an income which is coming in every month, kind of no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, I also, I always had the feeling that if you're doing more for those companies, there's not even a thank you for that. Right. It's like everybody is treated the same way um, and you earn a good money, but you don't have to do anything extraordinary. Right. There's no like major upside to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a big thing for people to, to have in mind, like whenever they're you know, thinking about career paths and I'm, I'm even contemplating uh, launching an old YouTube channel and making it branded towards just like things that I really want to talk about. Right. Cause like this is this channel that we have here is like very much, you know, automation manufacturing related, you know, careers within that space, but there's a whole nother side of like, uh, of myself and like as being a business owner that I think it's really good to, to be able to share with individuals and, and, and really set people's expectations because maybe a career, 
you know, with, with a company is not the proper path, or maybe the proper path is, you know, set, set, you know, two to five years working for some company to then have a plan that you're going to go out on your own, learn a little bit about the real world business and the real world, how companies operate and big corporations and maybe small companies as well, uh, gain some of that experience and then transition into doing your own thing. I think it's becoming easier for people to be able to make that transition with so much digitalization and working remotely and things along those lines. Yeah, exactly. This is, and this is what was also good in my job. I was working with a lot of those uh, suppliers. I got a view into number one, all different sizes of companies and how it was for them working for those different sizes of companies mm. and also traveling internationally. I think in the beginning of my career, that was a great experience because for me, traveling to a country and visiting a company and working with those colleagues on site gave me a lot of insight on how other cultures are doing their business. Mm. You can yeah. learn a lot. Yeah. And it can be quite different too. So that, that was really the good part about this. Now I don't want to do any more those, that many business trips, but right. I'm now in a different point in my life. Right. But doing that early on, that's kind of perfect, I think, if you want to do it. Yeah. I mean, let's go into a little bit of like some of the, maybe some of the challenges of a business owner. What, what can somebody expect like while, while leaving, you know, a, you know, a nine to five job and then going into uh, ownership. You have to do everything by yourself in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You don't have any money to hire somebody to do human resources. You don't have anybody to do your taxes. You don't. So it's kind of, you need to do everything by yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's also good that you learn to do everything by yourself because later on, if you are outsourcing, you have to check that they are doing a proper job. It yeah. now becomes your job to, to, to secure that what they are doing is done properly. Yeah. And that was, I think the biggest thing for me to learn also, or to see how all of this is done. And for me, it was also an experience to see, okay, which of those tasks, which you have to do with when you have a business, which of those tasks I can do easily and which of those tasks are something I have a really hard time doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And there's like some things that are just like completely outside of like your, your skill set, or outside of like any of your, your experiences or educations that makes it extremely hard to do very simple tasks. And for me being somebody who was always very technology, a lot of into technology and technology yeah. development. I always thought, oh, you don't need marketing. You don't need sales. Those guys, they don't earn, <laughs> they shouldn't earn that money they earn. But now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now I'm very willing to pay good money for somebody to do good sales for me. Right. Because that means if they do good sales that I can do a good job in my technical consulting. Right. And help. And so this, it, it's really, it was a huge experience and then came Corona and <laughs> that didn't make it easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, 
I think it's easy to underestimate like how much marketing and how much sales that you need, like going into, to, you know, a ownership. Um, it, it's just like, it takes so much more effort and so much more, you know, work and contacts and, and time than you would, than you would think it would take to, to build up clients. And it, it depends on the type of business that you have. Like for us, it's extremely long because we're doing capital projects. So it's like, you know, we talked to a customer today, it might be nine months, a year and a half before we close on a, on a project and then execution of that project. It might be two years from now, you know, whenever yeah. the, the project's actually complete. For, for me, it's a little bit shorter. I would think something like three to six months, yeah. but still it's, it's quite a lead time. Yeah. Um, and you, this, and the thing is what I found out, I don't like to do, or I have doing sales and calling people to do sales. That's not the thing I love. Right. Right. So therefore I chose the more difficult path, which, but which is closer to how I am. And that was doing a lot, so much marketing that now the people are calling me. I'm definitely in that, that same way. Like I, I, I really enjoy doing the marketing side of things. I don't care too much for doing the sales side of things. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's why you started the manufacturing came up YouTube channel. Yep. And that's why I also, I, during Corona, I also started an NDE 4.0 YouTube channel. Very nice. And this, um, it's still quite, quite tiny. We, it's now about 3000 subscribers. But it's it's growing, and I knew it was for a very special field. NDE is something where the group of interested people is not that big. So three thousand is already a lot, and it's still growing, and it's bringing customers. Yeah, I mean, it's that's one thing to really think about, and the one of the things I I slightly dislike about our industry and marketing towards our industry is our audience is not that large, right? Maybe there's a lot of people in our industry but also the amount of people that are actually wanting to consume this type of content during their free time, you know, that, that has probably already narrowed down to like five or 10% of, of just the target audience in general. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really going to be mainly people who are like very uh, career focused. People who are really wanting to be like the best in their career. They're going to watch YouTube channels like ours to, to gain that expert level of experience and knowledge, uh, you know, through, through the teachings of like YouTube channels like these. Yeah, exactly. But definitely, I think it's it's super valuable, not only to us, but but to the viewers to be able to have this type of content to consume. Um, there's so many nuances. Like I could not know anything about NDE, go to your YouTube channel and just like do a deep dive. And after 10, 20 hours of watching content, I would have a really good idea of, of exactly what it is. And I, I must also say there are now so many specialist YouTube channels where you can go, just go on YouTube and learn about everything. And for me, it's easier to watch a video than to read something, a long article. And especially Same. if it's somebody who can explain in a good way, then yes, I, I really benefit from those YouTube channels. And I think, I think that's a real big benefit for the whole industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Going back into, into your transition uh, as a business owner from coming from Siemens, what, you spent a couple of years where you were doing both. And I think that's definitely very intelligent and very smart to take a, a little bit slower approach versus just like 
just cutting the cord and diving completely in. Yeah, that, this, I think it wouldn't have been possible because ex especially in the beginning, you have to build up so much stuff. Mm -hmm. You need a website, you need marketing material, you need a, a company um, layout, you, you need all those things. So that's something you have to create in the beginning. You need a business plan. Right. That's nothing you write overnight and you still need a salary to maintain your life. Yeah. So that for me, that worked out perfectly that I still continue to work mm -hmm. and that I was, I did that on my spare time. Mm -hmm. I already had some first customers during that time, but that was very limited. Right. Um, actually at the end of the, uh, so after I really got out of the company before that, it was a, my company was just a, a self-employed company or mm -hmm. being self-employed. Afterwards, right. I built up an incorporated. So at that point, when I was doing that and building the incorporated, I had to let go the, the other one. Right. And then the, the tax office came to me, oh, you, you didn't make enough money and now we want to have a lot of taxes. <laughs> and then I told them, okay, look here. I just changed the company form from this to this. Yeah. <laughs> then they understood, but um, that was also an interesting one. Yeah. What were some of the things that you did to prepare as you was as you was transitioning? I read a lot. I read a lot about how to start a company. Um, you have to get a lot into the legal side of it, um, into how it is at some point to have employees. Uh, I talked with lawyers about building the, the structure of the company. I talked with the financial, uh, the, fun, the, the tax lawyers about, so that was, I think the legal part of it was what consumed most of my time besides writing the business. And then I got into, okay, the good part was from beginning, I had customers who wanted me to do something for them who knew me already from, because already when I was working for Siemens, I was quite active in a lot of uh, national or international committees. So that was a point where people already knew me and already knew what I could do. Mm -hmm. So that really helped when I became, started my own company. So that is something, if you want, if somebody out there wants to build his own company, I would say you have to get into that point of bringing yourself out to the world. Yeah. starting to do marketing. I would think marketing in my eyes is the most important thing you have to do for your own company. And if you are not good at it, get from the start, get somebody to do the marketing and perhaps yeah. also get somebody to do sales. Yeah, definitely. I, one, one thing that I kind of look at, like I said, we have a longer sales lead time, but uh, I kind of put a metric that if you post a piece of marketing content today, it's going to take two years before you get a result out of that marketing content, right? It takes people time to get warmed up to your brand. And, and when you post one, one piece of content today, sure, maybe somebody see it, sees it, but 80% plus, I mean, way more than 80%, but I'll just say like 80% of the people even this year are not going to see that first post, right? It, yeah. And maybe the second post and the third post, maybe they don't even see like the first 20% of the post that you see before you even reach close to how many ever people are going to see your, your content for that year. Yeah. And, and also too, like it just, it just takes time to soak in it. People need to see, you know, 10, 20 pieces of content from you to really start getting a feeling of like who you are as a company, 
who the personality is behind the company and, and, and really start to feel comfortable with making a purchase and, and, and having you in mind for even when there's time to make a purchasing decision. Yeah, that, it's absolutely true. This is, it takes time to build your name and it takes time for people to recognize you. And I think even, even once they recognize you and you see that you are getting into some conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. at some point you have to call them. And most likely it has to be you calling them and not them calling you. For me, the good part is at that point, I already know that other person a little bit and I can start talking. I just don't like to call somebody I don't know. Yeah, like a cold call type situation. Not at all. And and the other person also knows you a little bit. So it's it's a lot lot more open. Mm -hmm. And then you start discussing and then it comes up, oh, we currently have a restructuring of our company which will take another year. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, okay, I shouldn't be calling that person now twice a week because there will not be any business coming out of it. Right. But calling half a year later makes sense yeah. to see where they are at. Yeah. And you can't forget that either. Like that's yeah. where there's a huge gap. I think I definitely made the mistake whenever we started out, there was, you know, I didn't have any good like tracking method of like, you know, hey, call this person back in a year, call this person back in six months. So we probably had a good year of like, everything was just like direct cold outreach with like, I I don't want to say zero follow-up, but a very minimal amount of follow-up. And all that follow-up was generally through like LinkedIn or something. Oh, it's been three months. It's been six months since we messaged this person. Let's message them again. Yeah. And this is, and especially I think finding custom, I think Within LinkedIn, you will not find a lot of customers. If I get any message from somebody who just wants to sell me something, most likely I'm just tempted to say, okay, I don't want to hear it. On yeah. With it. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to hear it. Spammy, you just don't want to, yeah, you're not yeah. by it. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely over, over time, I mean, it, it's our primary sales uh, method, uh, one of our primary. Um, but I can definitely tell over time, like people, there's becoming so many more people selling on LinkedIn that people are starting to like dislike it in comparison to even, even like three years ago, like people were much more open to it because it just, there wasn't near mm-hmm. people trying to sell through LinkedIn. Yeah, I can easily imagine. This is, I, I'm now getting about one, one contact uh, per week who is trying to sell me something. Yeah. And I'm already looking for, okay. Uh, and it's, it's people, I don't know why they are even contacting me. They, they are trying to sell me some solar equipment or stuff, which yeah, yeah. I don't need privately and which my company for sure doesn't need. So I, th- this is also, I think before you get into sending emails out to people, yes, perhaps you have some automat, uh, which is sending out thousands of emails, but yeah. I would think dedicating an email to one customer and looking a little bit into his profile can help a lot. Definitely. Anything you can add that, that, that shows like personability is a huge, yeah. huge advantage. What is, what are some of the things that you found to, to help you uh, be successful in your sales? Personal contact. I think there is nothing better than personal contact. And that, that is also what made it for me during Corona so difficult because the personal contact was not possible anymore. Gotcha. And virtual was kind of a nice addition, but I would think that really to get to the point for signing the contract, you have to meet that person at least once and drink a good beer with him or her. <laughs> right. 
Right. So for you, this is like physically meeting them in person and and maybe doing an on-site meeting, maybe doing a a lunch or or dinner or something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Best part is if you go to a conference or something like that, where anyway, you have a couple of them. Yeah. Because going to a customer just for drinking a beer with him, that could be a little bit expensive over time, especially for a startup. I would only do that if it's already very close to actually signing the contract anyway. Yeah, you definitely have to be careful too in the beginning on how you how you utilize your resources. I mean, you always have to be careful on how you utilize your resources, but you know, in the beginning, I think it's that's where like the really creative things come out and where you have to really stretch out every dollar. And this is don't don't spend money on a big car. Don't spend money on a fancy office or anything like that. Spend the money in your product, spend the money in your marketing. That's way better. Yeah. Once you earn good money, then you can buy the car. Yeah. So, so we got pretty lucky whenever we, uh, whenever we started, I think within like it was some short amount of time, maybe it was like a year of being in business, but we was able to, to buy a building. Just that alone really helped us. We had to put a decent down payment down on it, but outside of that, you know, like the monthly payment on it is probably half of what it would cost like rent. A facility. Yeah. Yeah. Th- sometimes it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And for us, it may, it really makes sense because we're not, you know, we're, we're building a physical product, right? We're yeah. doing R&D testing of robotics and, and conveyors. And we, so we need a facility, right? You can only do so, that stuff out of your, out of your residential garage for so long. And yeah. you know, that we, that's what we did. We, we were really creative and we, we built panels out of a residential garage. We went to customers facilities and, and built, built on there at, at their site and just stayed in hotels while we, while we built on, on their floors. Um, so yeah, we had to be like very creative and innovative in the, in the very beginning. Yeah, this is, and my business is just a little bit different. This is, if you think about my, my guys, this is, I have my office here in Southern Germany. I have one guy who's has his office in Berlin. Rippy, he has his office in Connecticut. <laughs> so this is, uh, and I also have a lot of collaboration with other companies. So this is, I, I'm not with my business being quite different to a traditional manufacturing business. I also try to go a little bit the unconventional ways. And I'm also working with a large network of friends, of experts, which also have small companies. And we are all helping each other out. Mm. So if I need somebody, a programmer, I know whom to call. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge, huge advantage. And also too, even with customers, right? There's there's people who are contacting you saying, Hey, I have this problem. Can you help support me in this? Yeah. And then I, uh, and if it's not my task, in most cases, I know somebody who knows a lot about that. And I, uh, then I, I connect it to, and it's business for them and Absolutely. they bring business for me. So it, it really helps bring This network really brings up a lot of good contacts to customers. What are some things that you were feel you feel were like the most impactful on your career? could be like milestones. It could be like some learning that you, that you took on. I mean, obviously like making the transition from, from Siemens to a business owner, like that, that's a major, major transition. Th- that's a major transition, but there, there was not a single event. That is something which more or less dawned on me over time that yeah. I was not happy anymore with the situation assets. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get to someplace else. Right. And then I made a plan on where I want to get to. But mm-hmm. I think the single most, or the single biggest change in my life that was my kid really very good that did change my life so much uh and now even that i have my own business 
I'm still trying to have to work not too much because I want to see my kid. I want to experience her when she's little. Right. So that that was a really big change. Before that, I was easily working 50, 60 hours a week. But it also works. You can also be, you can also run a successful business and still have a good or and still have enough time for your family. Right. Yeah. But still, yeah, it's challenging. But that was that was a big thing for me. Yeah, I think that's something really important. I I pretty much live like most of my decisions by will I regret this when I'm seventy, right? And and so definitely something to keep in mind, like with with individuals who are like whether it's in their career or starting a business, like that you just kind of have that same mentality of like will I regret this at some point in time? Me me choosing to spend the time with my kid versus working. Will, will I will I have some type of hard feeling against this, right? Yeah. And and like say for instance for me, like I'm very progressive. I you know I work extremely hard, and, and a lot of people within the industry like they know that they're always saying like, dude, you're always on the road, you're always doing this, you're always doing blah blah blah, right? Well, like now like the kid, my kids are getting a little bit older. My my oldest one is is ten years old, and you know they're, they're starting to grow up, and I'm starting to get that feeling that they're growing up too quick. And and right now uh, in the U- U.S. and most places in the world, I think that you know, it's summer vacation, kids are not in school. So, you know, they have the ability to be home all day, every day. And to me, it's like important that I'm, I'm, I'm stopping and slowing down uh, my workings. So that way I can really dive in and, and spend that family time with them. Like I'm wrapping up some things and probably within like the first week of July, I should be done with all my major tasks. And then I'm looking to basically just kind of spend like the, the rest of the summer in like a super relaxed mode, like, you know, working 40 hours maximum and, and just really enjoying that that time. Since I started my company, there were a lot of things which really changed. This is Corona, yes, for sure. But also this book that changed a lot because it got my name out drastically. Mm. But on the other side, it was also about one and a half years of work writing. Starting the YouTube channel, that was also a really huge change for me and for my business. And so I think what what is really something which you can do and what you must do as a business owner, you have to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to have ideas how to develop your business. Mm-hmm. You have to have ideas how you change your business to yeah. make it something your customers want to buy. Yeah. And everybody will have a different strategy. Mm-hmm. For me, it was writing that book, right, starting that YouTube channel and doing a lot of other activities. There's a lot of people that start all, they start a company with, because they're like, they have a skill set and they're really good and they're really hardworking or, you know, some particular reason like that. And then they start a company and then they don't realize like how much energy needs to go into like the selling of your product, the selling of your service. And I, I don't want to say that the selling of, right. Cause it's like, like, I think what you were alluding to is like, it's a much more deeper thing, right? You have to think about like, what's our proposition to the market? Like what is, what exactly am I doing that people want to buy? And then how do you say that in words that they want to buy it? And what I found out during my time doing that is in the beginning, I was kind of offering my knowledge. I have a very broad spectrum. So the the spectrum I offered was very broad and nobody wanted to buy it or only very little people right. wanted to buy it who really knew what I could do. And now that I started saying, okay, we now sell workshops, which is kind of a product. People want to buy products. So that gives them something to buy. That gives them some yeah. 
numerical value they can get a quote on or, or, or something along exactly those lines. Yeah. yeah yeah and they have something and they know okay for an in the e 4.0 workshop for a digital transformation workshop i can go to Yana's and he will do a good job and it's kind of now i'm i'm kind of now in the process of restricting all of this is now 90 percent of my business yeah it's kind of funny too like whenever you start a business like you find different things that like you're really successful in and, and things that just like really pop off and, and work well, that's what like we've kind of taken a transition in our company with uh, a lot of like robotic welding stuff and doing like robotic weld fixtures for like a lot of automotive sector stuff but really anything on like robotic welding uh and it's just been because like the sale has been easier right these people are, are these customers are, are used to a buying process of like we buy a new fixture every two years for this model of part and we're changing uh we're changing models of vehicles pretty much all the time right so there's always like an inflow of, of orders and uh, or of, of, of program changes and stuff like that which on the material handling side of things doesn't change as frequently right if somebody orders like a box palletizer right how often does their box change and if their box does change it's super easy just to to you know punch some numbers in an hmi to change the system and make it work with whatever the the new product is yeah by the way do you have the i, I guess you know that with welding there is usually a lot of non-destructive testing associated with it mm. okay do you have some ndt actually attached to your robots we do not at least that not that i'm aware of that could be something to think of i have even seen and excuse me i'm not a welding expert but <laughs> those welding tips you can find welding tips which already have an uh, a ultrasonic transducer incorporated into the welding tip mm. so that you can weld and while welding you can see with ultrasonics how the welding process goes Mm, very nice. So you can directly monitor your welding. I'm, one thing I, I'm actually really curious about is is how the book had had an impact in, in your business. I would think that was mainly for uh, for the name, for bringing out my name. Um, with the book, I also got invited to a lot of conferences to give keynote lectures and so on. Um, for example, next Monday, I will be at the European conference for non-structive testing, which is a conference with about 2000 people participating. And I, I have a presentation in the opening ceremony nice. where all the people will be in that room. So you can imagine what this could be good for the business. Were these Hopefully people... I don't screw up my presentation, but that's a different story. <laughs> so like, I guess, how did, how did your book get broadcasted out so that, that, that the buzz started, started getting created? That, that's the good part of the NDE industry. NDE industry is very connected. Yeah. Yeah. You find all the special conferences for non-structive testing. You find YouTube uh, or you find a LinkedIn group for non-structive testing. You find Facebook groups for non-structive testing. So it's easier yeah. to get your name out or to bring yeah. your book out. But yeah. in the beginning, we tried selling the book through Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I think we sold around 100 copies of it. And then the American Society for Non-Destructive Testing actually saw the book and said, we want to publish it. Oh, wow. Nice. So now they become the publisher of our book. And so now sales are up by quite a bit. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's very important. It's like kind of like it's, it's niched down so far that like, 
if even one person gets a hold of it, right, and and they're they're very tight knit with that whole group, and they share it in the LinkedIn group, they share it in the Facebook group, you know, uh, they mention it on on YouTube comments. Then people start to see that, and it creates a buzz around it. And, and if they if they open it up and they read it, there'll be a few people that read it, right? If it's a good piece of content, then they're probably going to reshare it to all their the people that they know directly. Yeah, this is uh, this is. I, a, a lady which is working in non-structive testing, she, she was going on vacation and up to the moment she didn't find time as it seems to read our book. So she took it with her to Hawaii. Nice. And then posted the picture of her reading that book on the beach. Nice. <laughs> that was a perfect LinkedIn post. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's super cool. Can't beat that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are some what are some last valuable tips that you can give back to the community and, and kind of helping them guide them throughout their career. Do what you like to do, do what you're good at, because if you do something you're good at, and if you do something you like to do, you will have success eventually. It might be difficult in the beginning, but mm -hmm. at some point you will have success. Yeah. What, one thing I want to add to that is like, I think I definitely agree with that. But one thing that I've been kind of awakened to is like, whatever the thing is that you like to do, especially if you're looking for financial success, Make, try to find something around that that also has like the ability to make a good amount of money. A lot of people like they choose like a career path. I'll just, I'm, I, I'm just used like one example outside of our industry. Maybe it's like a hair salon, right? You have to look at that and say, okay, well, they're making you know, $12 an hour, $14 an hour. The highest paid people are making like $18 an hour in a normal, you know, industry, right? So it's like something to be mindful of and then and then just think like is there some other angle that I can go about this to where there's more upside to it than than just this one thing. Yeah. But for you're right, but that also for me it depends on where you want to go with your life. Mm -hmm. If you're in the situation that you like doing hairdressing, yeah. And that you go to that job and just like doing it. Right. Even then you should be considering that you do will not be earning that much money, but money is not everything for me. Right. This is, it's way more, we only live one. And therefore I think we should do something which where we have fun earning money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think people should spend their entire career doing some type of job. They just absolutely dislike. I think that people should, you know, I, I kind of have a weird, thought around it because I can't, I came from a place of like, of, of, you know, poverty, like probably lower middle class, at least and through, through, you know, part of my growing up. And so like one thing that I, I kind of always look for is like a financial way out first, especially for those who like, don't feel like they have a path to like college and like those who are like really lost. It's like, find something that makes you some decent money where, where you're making, you know, you can be considered like somewhat middle class. And then from there, you can kind of step back and look and say, okay, now what do I want to do? I'm making decent money. I, if I want to do something else, I might have to sacrifice some money, but at least I'm, I'm good right yeah. now. This is absolutely true, especially in the beginning of your career. Money is a big part because you have to come to a point that you can step down a bit, mm -hmm. that you can actually go to the place to think, okay, I um, don't need that much money. Right. I'm way more happy to be a hairdresser, but in the beginning of the career, you also have, or you have to get enough money first to actually build up a hair saloon because yeah. the hair saloon to buy that one, to rent that one and to buy all of that furniture, you still need a lot of money and either you have something to give it to you 
which I didn't have. Right. So for me, the career with Siemens was perfect because I earned a lot of money mm -hmm. with Siemens. Yeah. And I had now the, I had the financial backup now to actually start my own company. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Yes. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I also too, it's, it's, you know, I, I spent uh, a good portion of my career being underpaid. I, I, I did go to, I, I did go to college to, to do automation robotics. Um, and I could, especially after I had that degree in my hand, right. Prior to having the degree, you know, it would have been much harder for me to transition to, to a, a higher paying job, but I was lucky to get into a systems integration company where I was um, able to be exposed to robot program, PLC programming, the building of systems very, very early on while I was in my first semesters of college. Right. But as soon as I had that degree, I had that paper that then opened up all the doors to all these other companies looking for PLC programmers and robot programmers and, and these type of job titles and could have immediately left that position to go for at least a $5 an hour pay raise. Right. And I, I, I decided not to take that decision. Right. Because I knew that I was, I was working at a smaller company. I was positioned in a way that, um, there wasn't, the, the company gave me enough freedom to kind of do things in the way that I wanted to do them. Right. So I did like the execution of projects and, um, you know, the deployment of projects, just a ton of different things, right? How we, how we structured our, our programming and help developing of, of those things. And so I was able to get like this freedom and this level of like respect where um, I was in a way operating as a CEO within that company, right? There were definitely limitations to it. I still wasn't involved highly on like the financial side of things and things like that, but I had like enough freedoms to be able to take, make these different decisions that to me, it felt like the, dollar per hour loss was gaining me much more experience than if I would have just went on to a, some type of corporate position where I would have been like a PLC programmer only or a robot programmer only. Yeah. This is that, that's perhaps also something, especially in the beginning of the career, pick a job where you can gain experience, mm -hmm. where yeah. you can gain a lot of experience, where you can try stuff, where you can try what you're good at Absolutely. so that you find your way in life. Because this is now having a daughter and seeing her right her her going getting bigger, right? I I can see now and now looking also back on my own life, I can see, yeah, when I was eighteen, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, I think there's a a big uh, a very direct relation between like the skills that you learn and how much financial success that you have, you know, the, the biggest reasons why people don't become successful is they don't take, they don't utilize time of, to their advantage to learn skill sets that give them the ability to make more money. Yeah. And this is education is an important point. And just because you're finished with college doesn't mean you have to, you should be stopping educating. Actually, you, it is becoming more and more critical. Technology is developing faster than ever before. Mm -hmm. We see changes about every day mm -hmm. and all of them are chances. But if we do not follow them as a business owner, we will be out of business soon. And so 
And but this is also true for a normal employee. If you want to stay, jobs will become unnecessary in the future, which we currently think that are necessary. Mm -hmm. If we if we see what a chat GPT can do nowadays, mm -hmm. you can immediately see how many jobs will become unnecessary. Yep. And chat GPT is just the beginning. Yeah. Those AI models will be be becoming better and better and better. Yeah. And if I think about, especially if I think about some of the well-paid jobs, which are doing a lot of writing, let's say a lawyer, how much work or in, in some future, how many contracts will be done by a successor of ChatGPT? Mm -hmm. And at that point, a lawyer who knows how to use those tools will have a job and the one who doesn't know will not have any more customers because he's just too slow or, or too expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. This, it, it, it is all jobs. Everybody has to adopt to this changing landscape of technology. But if we do that, then we will continue to be successful in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I like actively have in my mind that with like the programming side of things, like how will that affect our business? And whenever, you know, chat GPT is able to actually write like PLC logic and actually write robot logic and, and, you know, it's already able to write some, you know, uh, like some C C plus type programming. Right. And, and that really is like the underlying programming that, that is in the robot and in the PLCs. And then you can even, you know, program PLCs and structured text and, and, you know, really some of the robot logic is, is a structured text syntax. So it's like, it's probably not far away that we yeah. can teach these things. Yeah, and and the when they did chat GPT, the they had access to all the source code on, on GitHub. So all the programming languages which were on GitHub, mm. all the intelligence we put into GitHub is now part of that program. And so, I, I bet there will also be some PLC programming on on GitHub. And so, soon it will also be somebody who knows how to do PLC programming and uses AI solutions in addition mm -hmm. will be more successful than the one who doesn't. Right. And AI is just one technology. One, yep. And currently we are all looking on AI because we just see those successes now we're of all the development. But we shouldn't forget about metaverse. We shouldn't forget about blockchain. We shouldn't forget about all the other technologies because they will all get into our lives, into our professional lives right. at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, definitely glad to have you on as a guest. You can tell you can tell you're a super sharp individual. A lot of a lot of the technological things that you went over today kind of went over my head. Maybe went over a few guests head, but uh, definitely I can tell that you have a ton of experience in this in this industry and with uh, the technologies of this industry. And, and if, if somebody wants to know more about kind of any of those t topics I touched about today, just go over to my YouTube channel. It's called NDE 4.0 and you can find a lot of information about AI, about IOT, about blockchains, about whatever you can think all those emerging technologies are kind of covered on the channel. And if they are not, it will be covered in the future. Awesome. And where else can people find you at? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. 
they can find me on Twitter. On Twitter, it's ma mainly under my company name, Rana GmbH. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, but I'm not really active anymore on Facebook. So yes, I would think LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube are the three main channels. Awesome. Or also on the company webpage, which you can, rana.net. Good deal. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to reach out to him if you have any questions. And uh, thanks for being on. Thanks a lot, Malakai. No problem.